literature and comedy. It's Behind the Line Radio with your host, Kinetic. And it starts now. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Behind the Line Radio. And today we're going to do something a little bit different. Today we're just going to talk about a number of recent headlines. It seems that there's been a variety of small topics that interest me, at least, in the video game industry. And joining me again to talk about this is Marco. How are you doing today? Pretty good, Nick. Thanks for having me back. Nice to have you back, man. So, issue number one. Uh, The Coleco Chameleon. Uh, Coleco is, for those who don't know, actually a very, very old name in the video game industry. They were among the earliest console makers, the ColecoVision. I had... It was, it, if you look back at it, it was pretty impressive. I had a, a very old handheld battery-powered uh, uh, LCD screen. It, it was like a Game Boy, this, this ColecoVision Micro thing. I, f- I think that's what it was called. And one of the most impressive things about it, it was also programmable. And by that, I mean it actually had... Uh, you, could, you had the console itself and this plastic faceplate, which contained the circuit board and everything, and you could take it off and put another one on. Um, and this was from like 1981, maybe 82. Uh, and the different, one of the other fancy things about it, it was that the little plastic overlays also covered the control surface and would change your control options based on what game you're playing. Like it probably had something like a, I don't know, maybe a 12 button, uh, registry on the bottom, but some of them would be covered up. It was, the, the variable interface thinking is actually kind of similar to what you see in um, touchscreen stuff today, where with touchscreens, you can actually change what your interface is. That's kind of the nice thing about touchscreens is it gives you that user interface flexibility. Um, now, uh, Coleco has been out of the games industry for phew, at least since the crash, I think. But... There's been some stirs that they want to bring up this uh, this new console that's cartridge-based. Now, cartridge-based has been out... Obviously, it's been out of console for since the Nintendo 64, just because of the very significant advantages that discs give. Lots of memory space, a lot cheaper to burn stuff while you're in development. Uh, but... Cartridge has never actually entirely gone away. I mean, Game Boys and and um, has it only been Game Boys? Um, probably since most consoles switched to disc. I mean, the yeah. last one, I, the only other handheld I remember is the Game Gear that was uh, still cartridge, but that was still back when you know Sega Genesis was cartridge as well. So true. Well, um, I suppose you could say the the um, uh, the Nokia N Gauge was oh. sort of cartridge, or uh, I, I guess you card. could say that. <laughs> Um, so, but, uh, also since then, I mean, flash memory has just gotten cheaper and cheaper and it's rewritable. So, um, you can probably put write locks on it for your distribution versions, but in development, you can just like hand in your thing and have it rewrite. So, I mean, may- maybe there's something there for it, for the market. I'm, I'm not sure. Um, I wrote in my article that, uh, I'd be a little concerned about loading times because that was one of the. Actually, one of the really awesome things about cartridges, even in the Nintendo 64 days, when when people were looking at Nintendo thinking, why are you doing this? If you go back and play it now, like the original PlayStation loading times, just uh, 
they're really bad. And if you put in a Nintendo 64 cartridge, just boom up right like that. You're like, ooh, that aged a lot better. (laughs) Yeah, Um, I actually agree, you know, with like the advancements in, you know, flash storage and everything. Um, This isn't the craziest idea anymore. I mean, uh, for a while, I mean, nobody would have ever thought about this, but... Uh, the way things are now with how much storage you can get onto, you know, a little flash drive, it, this might actually have a chance. Yeah. You know what might be interesting? Because uh, they actually sell retro consoles that don't even have um, cartridge slots anymore. They just have everything preloaded on it. And this is how mm-hmm. the Sega Master System is actually still alive in Brazil. It, they, it, <laughs> Yeah, they're still manufacturing really? and selling. It's crazy. Wow. Um, but, but it's... Its current model actually has all of the software preloaded onto it. There's no cartridge, anything. Mm-hmm. Um, I might have to go get one of those. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, but it, it's kind of like those uh, plug-and-play things, retro games. You get like an Atari 2600-looking thing, and it's got like, you know, a couple dozen games loaded onto it. Mm-hmm. It's like that. Um, mm-hmm. So, it it to me, it seems a little dubious just how much traction this can get for retro gaming or or anything like that but what might be interesting because there are games out there that could be put on this Mm -hmm. that aren't from old consoles and these are things that are coming out these days that actually very much harken back to old school stuff stuff like shovel knight or Mm -hmm. crypt of the necro dancer these kind of games that are actually not very large not very intensive um but do lend themselves to a console interface. Mm-hmm. If those things got ported over, I think that would be a pretty that 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 has a chance of being a good sweet spot, especially if this console is in your budget range and people want to try some of these fancy experimental games yeah. or these, you know, retro feeling games. I think the what you just mentioned about the price range of this console is actually going to be a really big factor whether or not this makes it um, because they're not going to get, you know, $400, $500 for this machine. Oh, no, 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 no. At all. So, I mean, You're not going to get that for PlayStations these days. I mean, hell, Sony learned that after the PlayStation 3. Right. That was, oh, $599 was pushing it then. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, that that's definitely a big factor on whether or not this succeeds. And, and like you said, game selection is also going to play a big part. Like, what's actually going to be on here? Because if it's just a retro game emulator um you can pretty much download one of those on any pc and play whatever game you want or you could load that up onto a micro console which will transition (laughs) us to our next topic unless i'm cutting you off here no 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 go ahead okay so tencent is a very big uh very big name in chinese video games basically they are chinese video games the china to get into the specifics of it is really difficult. Suffice it to say, the Chinese market is weird for a lot of things. Mm-hmm. So if you're going to talk video games in China, you're probably going to be talking Tencent. Yeah, now, there's one other one, one other major one. I can't remember the name right now, but those two are, like if you look at the top charts and for mobile, for example, all of the games are made by them. By any chance, are you thinking Netmarble? No, they're Korean. Yeah, um, okay. There's... There's another Chinese one. Let me see if I can find it real quick. Um, go ahead and... You know. <laughs> okay, well, let me explain the uh, the topic then. Tencent is going to release their own micro console. And you'd kind of think that this might fall into the same sort of category as the Ouya. Mm-hmm. 
but uh, it's actually pretty different. For one thing, obviously, this is in the Chinese market and the rules are all completely different. I mean, hell, until recently, they actually had an embargo against any Western game console coming into the market or something like that. I don't remember all of the details off the top of my head as I'm talking about it now. But that was one of the reasons why there was a lot of rampant piracy in China. One of. There were others. Mm -hmm. But uh, right now, Tencent is looking to release this micro console. And one of the sort of quirks to it is that it is... It has access to the entire Tencent game library, or at least their entire Android platform game library. And it, obviously, as a console, plays on your television screen. But it's not, you could say it's not exactly a standalone console. The way it works is that you actually interface with it with your phone, which I suppose makes sense in the sense that these are, I guess, pure ports they're, they're not actually going to have any work done on them to translate them to the other environments. So you're going to have to have a touchscreen to interact with pretty much any of this. Mm-hmm. So they just use the phone as the controller. And when I first heard that, I thought, that's really strange. A lot of these games are designed to be looking at it while you're doing it. Like, you can't, you can't play a game, any of the combat city builders like Clash of Clans or any of that ilk. I don't like the term Clash Clones. I think this is a new burgeoning genre. Mm -hmm. But you get the idea. Those are all designed to be played looking at the screen. You have to know where you're putting your finger, where you're going to drop your troops, where you're going to command stuff. Or to be able to use the menus, you have to know exactly what you're hitting. Right. There are Uh, some games that that can operate on like a dual analog type dealie. mm -hmm. Um. It's not exactly a recent title, but Gun Bros is, was one of them. Or yeah. uh, some Infinite Runners where you don't exactly have to watch. But uh, I don't think those are the majority. So it just strikes me as really weird that you're going to have this running up on the television but watching your phone. Yeah. Um, we, uh, at my current company, we actually did uh, do some games that um, you could play on the Apple TV. And it was very, very hard to play those games. Um without looking at the device still because there's no physical feedback you know it's not like you're pressing a button or on a d-pad or anything it's really hard to tell where your fingers are at when you're looking at a big screen but holding you know your small device yeah that's called haptic feedback yeah um so unless developers are going to go to you know and program in visuals like that purposely appear on a second screen people are going to have a really really hard time playing games uh while not looking at their small screen at the same time. But um, the Chinese market is uh, strange for Android, um, as well as a lot of other countries. Um, We learned this recently when we soft-launched a game in uh, Vietnam, and uh, we noticed that, uh, or this particular game, it was required that you sign in with your Google Play account to play it so that we can back up your data and so forth. Um, But we found that 50% of people would download the game, launch the game, get to that point, and never go past that point. And we were trying to figure out why. And uh, and uh, the thing is, like in in Vietnam, nobody likes to use the Google system. They all prefer to use other Android marketplaces and pay through those. They don't actually have Google accounts and, and pay through Google. So if Tencent is partnering with some kind of uh, payment company, this could actually work out for them. 
Um, but there's still going to be those weird nuances where, you know, again, you probably have to be looking at the screen uh, to play the game because it's going to be really hard to do if you're not. Um, I really don't know how they're going to get around that. And it's, you know, most games don't support, you know, displaying uh, displaying touch, uh, what do you call it, touch indicators on the screen while you're playing. Yeah, yeah, that's uh, definitely a, a, a tricky one there. Like, if you could... If the device had like a, a finger hover, like you could see where your cursor was when you weren't quite touching it yet, then it would work. You can see stuff like that on like artist tablets. Mm -hmm. they'll, they'll register when you're not touching and then register contact when you're on it, which is really important for an artist. But yeah, that, that's actually um, a good point you made about the, the billing. Um, yeah. There's definitely different rules in different places. You'd think kind of uh intuitively that if you're getting something off android you must be getting it off the google play store and therefore you must have a google account and therefore that's how you would pay for it right right that's and what that's, we thought <laughs> that's not quite how it works totally not yeah. um yeah we learned an important lesson there <laughs> <laughs> um, but it's good that we learned it <laughs> early in soft launch yeah and there's uh, there's uh plenty of there's uh other ways that uh people use to you know make payments through the google play store without directly hitting the google play store Store. I know there's, um, oh, I cannot remember the name of it, but there's, I know in the Philippines, there's a card specifically for paying to the Google Play Store mm -hmm. or making a, a other um, sort of electronic payments. I think it also worked with like eBay and stuff. It was entirely for online payments, like a prepaid card entirely for, for online stuff. Right. And there are some places where that just doesn't exist. There is no way like people don't have credit cards, so they can't associate that with their account and make normal payments to it. Um, I think uh, there's some South American countries where that happens a lot, where, yep. um, you know, we don't see any sales from those regions because it's near impossible for people <laughs> to purchase things <laughs> in those regions. You know, yeah, it's uh, there. You it's a dangerous trap to, uh, and, and this is one of the reasons why uh, localization, particularly on uh, free-to-play stuff or or mobile stuff, it's, I mean, technologically, it's kind of easier than ever because, uh, like, on the Google Play Store or, or uh, the iTunes App Store, you can kind of just hit a button and it'll be released there, but that in no way means it'll work. In fact, it might work so poorly that it'll be insulting and, and actually turn people against you <laughs> if you're not, you know, aware and careful. Right, right. And uh, speaking of micro consoles again, I never knew Mad Cats had a micro console. <laughs> I was actually aware of this one. Uh, we got one of these in our office a, a long time ago, but I don't think we ever actually did anything with it. <laughs> I think we had learned our lesson from the other ones that we tried to support. Um, I mean, micro consoles, uh, I think you remember the Zebo. Oh yeah. I remember the Zebo. We actually, yeah. there's an article about specifically about the Zebo here on Enthusiax. You should go look that up. <laughs> Maybe I think I will sometime. <laughs> um, so they've been, I mean, people have been trying to do this for a long time before, even Android and iOS and whatnot was out. This was a Brew console, which was basically a Brew phone. If anyone doesn't remember Brew, that's kind of what Verizon ran on before the iPhone and Android stuff right. came out. Um, so this this console was a Brew phone that basically just had some hardware that would output to your TV instead of a phone screen. Um, and I think that uh, never really made it out into the market. 
maybe one it, region or something like that? No, it was that was a Brazilian item that made it out into the Brazilian market. It never made any worldwide splash, but it it mm-hmm. uh, it was a viable product in Brazil because damn Brazil's game market is weird. Uh, I mean, yeah, that's well, that's where they still have the uh, the master system. Right. It's it's because they have some crazy uh, import tariff. That's true. Um, for the company I'm working for now, we actually had to open an office in Brazil to get yeah. around that so that we can distribute there without these crazy taxes. Otherwise, it'd yep. be, you know, for the consumer there, it would be like $150 a game or more. You know. Yeah, it's it's insane. And uh, yeah. this is whether you, whether you agree or not, this is kind of what uh, what people get afraid of when they talk about overregulation is mm-hmm. stuff like kind of stuff like that happening. But right. uh, yeah, I I <laughs> I was I was really surprised to learn that because I, I I heard about that when I was reading up about Mad Cats were in financial trouble. They were like cutting a third of their workforce or something. And yeah, thirty seven percent right now. Yeah, and I I mean I wrote about that before they had their uh, their investors meeting, and it turned out that it was uh, yeah, it really was a lot of bad news for them because uh, I don't know. F- I always remember Mad Cats as the as one of the peripheral or third party controller makers that wasn't quite complete garbage. I mean, you never wanted back in the day. You never wanted to trust the third party controller. You'd go mm-hmm. to their, your friend's house, and you know, it's like the the last person to pick was the one who got the cruddy third party one <laughs> That's that true. that someone just got because it was cheaper, and you needed that fourth spot or third spot or whatever. Yeah, um, uh, and uh, but. Um, Apparently, I didn't. I didn't know that they were in um, uh, the business of making the Rock Band peripherals for Rock Band Four. Mm-hmm. And uh, apparently, neither Rock Band nor Guitar Hero are selling quite as well as people wanted to see. Yeah, um, I've actually noticed that. Um, but going back to you know talking about the history of Mad Cats for a second, um, I never liked Mad Cats peripherals. Like you know, this is way back. Uh, PS1 days, Dreamcast, things like that. I, I never thought they were any good. Um, I was actually happy to see how well they were doing recently. Um, they started making good fight sticks for fighting games. Mm. Um, they started uh, with the peripherals for Rock Band. Um, and PC peripherals, too. They think they make, uh, right. They make the, uh, the rat mouse, which is a pretty cool mouse, actually. Fully mm-hmm. adjustable and customizable. Um and actually, they I think uh, I think Triton headphones are done by Mad Cats as well. Maybe I, I don't know about that. They, they have one headphone um, out there that they make. It's not branded Mad Cats, but they do make it. I believe it's Triton because I see those a lot at tournaments that they sponsor. Um, so it actually looked like they were on this huge upswing, and then to see all of a sudden that their CEO resigned and they're cutting you know over a third of their staff was it was actually kind of sad for them, you know, because mm. it, it was like they finally had made it. <laughs> to being like a big name in the game industry and now they're taking this big hit so sorry mad cats <laughs> yeah. yeah it's uh, a, a you you claw and scratch mad cats ha 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 your way up to some respectability um, yeah maybe maybe part of the problem was that they bet too hard on rock band could have been uh i because i i think um i mean when when you're talking about rhythm games i mean i love rhythm games Mm-hmm. I like hell. I mentioned Crypt of the Necrodancer. That's essentially a rhythm game. Mm-hmm. Uh, Dance Dance Revolution, Guitar Hero, Parappa the Rappa, and I'm Jammer Lammy. Uh, all all those kinds of things. Um, and I mean, 
to my personal taste, I liked all of the harmonic stuff when Rock Band, when, uh, I'm sorry, when Guitar Hero became a different thing and wasn't associated with harmonics anymore. I played Guitar Hero 3 and didn't like it. It felt like um, it was being made by people who didn't quite get the music well enough to make good note charts. <laughs> Whereas when I was playing old Guitar Hero games, it actually gave me a, a much better appreciation appreciation for music and the different kinds of music. I mean, I know a whole bunch of people talk about these games like, well, why don't you learn how to play a real guitar? It's like, well, how about I have uh, Stepping Stone? Mm-hmm. You know? <laughs> Yeah. Or just have a game about it. I mean, it's fine. They might have taken a big hit with Rock Band. I'm just actually surprised that they decided to make a new one. Um, put Pro- that probably, out. Probably could have stood to have a little bit more time in between. Yeah. Well, it's just like if you go to the, like, um, I think it was GameStop. Stopped, stopped taking the, the Rock Band peripherals as trade-ins a while back. Ouch. Which means they had a lot, you know? Yeah. So... <laughs> When you see that, um, I don't know if you know they were aware of that or not. But when when I see stuff like that, it just makes me think: like, is it really a good idea to put out another one when when that's going on? You know, probably. Yeah, not, that's but... that's actually that's a really good barometer. There's there's a lot of people who will, you know talk about, um, and this is a total flip side of the thing, but not manufacturing enough, having manufactured scarcity to increase the value of something. But really, the only people who get the value out of that are the resellers and whatnot. But mm-hmm. your resale market does give you a pretty good indication of how hot or cold your market is. Right. Um, actually, talking about that reminds me of something. Uh, when Final Fantasy Tactics was a more current game, mm-hmm. they did not print a lot of them in the North American market on the PlayStation one. And it got real hot on the resale market. They even did a penny arcade comic about it. It They had one, one copy used and like Gabe and some other guy, uh, some random person grabbed it at the same time. (laughs) And it's like, well, how do we deal with this now? Because literally, those those games were selling for like $45, $50 used. Mm-hmm. They were basically at new game prices used. So you can tell that that game was... There, there was a lot of demand out there for it. Yeah. And that was... Eventually, they had a greatest hits printing, thank God, because it deserved it, because it's an excellent game. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, yeah, if... if uh, the market was that cold then that that's a pretty good uh indication that the it probably hadn't recovered from the oversaturation that the games the music game market had hit yeah yeah it uh, uh, I, I, but um i don't know maybe here and mm, the fact that guitar hero released at the same time i find a little weird that the fact that harmonics is rock band and, and guitar hero both went at the same time kind of leads me to believe that there might've been some underlying reasoning that was just true that hit both of them at the same time independently. Mm-hmm. But, uh, I, I, I will always say that rock band is much more of a platform than guitar hero because they have a lot of just the, um, download new songs, download new songs. You can buy them a la carte as opposed to uh, Guitar Hero, which sold, like, song expansions. Wow, really? Yeah. Oh, I, I never actually played uh, Guitar Hero, so I, I wasn't aware of that. Uh, they, they might have also had uh, uh, in-game downloads, but there was a bunch of, like, you can find, like, the Metallica songs disc. Uh-huh. 
or something like that. It, every time I saw because because uh, they tried to make Guitar Hero an annual release, and so they just kept you know churning and churning and churning all these new copies in the store. Whereas Rock Band was just like it's uh, it's Rock Band three. We got all our instruments. Uh, we're kind of done. So uh, you want more songs? We got more songs for you. Okay. And uh, so I always respected uh, Harmonix's approach much better. Which works for me because I liked their uh, their um, uh, like I said the note layouts. Mm-hmm. It felt much better to me, and their control felt better. But um, yeah, I'm a dork like that, and I'll play music on little plastic baby guitars. <laughs> Quote the monarch. Yes. Actually, uh, you brought up one thing that just reminded me of something about the scarcity of games uh, in mm. the past. Um, actually got hit with that recently out of nowhere you know i kind of thought we were over that and then what was i trying to buy uh fire emblem fate special edition for the 3ds that has you know all of the um because that game is broken up into two or three parts and mm. i wanted to get you know the set with all of them at once sold out everywhere <laughs> oh so uh yeah it was it, it kind of shocked me a little bit i was like <laughs> really like really we're back to this now <laughs> you know um Shh quiet you're dangerously close to arguing in favor of pre-orders <laughs> well i would have pre-ordered it but the, the pre-orders <laughs> were sold out too <laughs> so I, I yeah should have gone faster i know i know yeah. what is yeah. it power up your pre-order or whatever that thing was called Why do I... there was uh i think that was evolve or something there was kind of like this meta pre-order like if enough people pre-ordered then the pre-order bonus got better oh that was a deus ex oh okay yeah the new one. one yeah yeah i think they they scrapped that though <laughs> that uh yeah the, the whole customer facing bit of that kind of got lost in translation there yeah <laughs> nobody talks about that anymore <laughs> <laughs> Oh, man, there's definitely a bunch of weird stuff that'll happen in the games industry. You get a whole bunch of weird disconnects mm-hmm. between kind of what you think you're doing, what the customers think is going on, what you're trying to do, what someone else in the company sees is happening. and Yeah, definitely. You can get some weird stories out of it because there ain't, there ain't much in the world that mixes art and tech quite like video games. Mm-hmm. I mean, you could probably say computer animated movies, but still, there's a lot more tech involved, I think, in uh, in the games industry. Just layers and layers of it. Right. Speaking of weird stuff, another ham-fisted transition. Uh, Peter Molyneux got in the news again. First, uh, 22 Cans finally released the uh, PvP version of Goddess, which was years in the making at this point, and... Many people are probably quite upset didn't show up a long time ago. And <laughs> a number of strange things about this one, where, first of all, they released a bunch of... Um, I don't know a bunch. I actually don't know uh, that well what's going on. But they released some other add-on content with the uh, PvP version for additional cost in-game. So it was, a, it was an in-app purchase for more stuff. It was like... ten or fifteen dollars for the game and then another five bucks for like another versus map or something like that i'm not entirely sure but the point is they released a product for a set cost and it had 
another set of microtransactions associated with it. And the public did not like that one very much at all, especially considering this was one of the fairly early successful Kickstarter campaigns. And people were already feeling burned that uh, Molyneux went with uh, Mobigay to get some publisher money. They were upset that, oh, they thought this was going to be a PC game, and then it turned out to be more like a mobile port on Steam, because there's also a mobile game associated with this. It should all be the same thing. I'm not entirely sure how well they work together or if they're in the same uh, environment, because I haven't played the thing that much. But one of the good things about this whole thing this whole sequence of events is that Peter Molyneux is not the CEO of 22 cans. And, Oh, that's terrible. I can't remember his name. He's not a name of any tremendous renown in the games industry. He's no, you know, Satoru Iwata or Shigeru Miyamoto, but he very quickly, the CEO of 22 cans very quickly went on and, uh, uh, apologized for this, said, you know what? You're right. We're going to own up to the fact that we didn't do this correctly. And they basically made all of that uh, microtransaction content free. Is this, uh, I'm reading your article, uh, Simon Phillips? Is that yes, the guy? that's the oh, one. Thank okay. you. Thank you for having my back. <laughs> no problem. Uh, yeah, he's, uh, he's the guy who took over the reins from 22 Cans when it became really, really clear that Peter Molyneux was not the one to be in charge. <laughs> when they were... There's stories about like Peter Molyneux was the one going out and stocking toilet paper for the bathrooms in the office. You're like, this is not the right allocation of labor here. <laughs> and so he came in and took it as a challenge to see if he could just kick everybody in the ass and, and actually get the promised product out. So, you know, there's, there's a lot of appropriately hurt feelings over the way 22 cans has treated products and and uh, the way peter molyneux has run things and of course his entire history of over promising and under delivering and i'm not going to say that any of those are in any way invalid i think they're completely valid you reap what you sow and if peter molyneux doesn't know when to shut his gob then uh it's going to come back to him but in this case, I actually take this as a positive sign because there was no hemming and hawing. There was no backtracking. There was no trying to justify it. Uh, so it doesn't strike me as a cynical cash grab. I mean, they might have, I, I, obviously they were looking at it and trying to improve the bottom line, but it wasn't something that they were trying to pull the wool over anyone's eyes on. They, they got feedback and they said, you know what? You're right. We didn't do this the right way. So we're going to pull it, and we're just going to sell it as is with everything in there. And uh, I think that's a good sign. That's definitely a good start. I mean, very smart for Simon Phillips to come in and make that move. Um, kind of, Because at this point, it's not even really about the game anymore. It's more about the reputation of their company. Um, oh, so yes. That, he, that's hitting the nail right on the head. Right. He really needs to focus on that. you got to gain consumer trust back and then build upon that. So this is a very good first move for him. Um, and hopefully they, they keep along with this, this, uh, or keep on the same track. Yeah. And, um, you, you could, you could very easily say that having had the microtransactions in there in the first place was a misstep, but, uh, in a lot of ways, how you react to your missteps mm -hmm. speaks a lot to how much you actually respect the consumer mm -hmm. in this case. So, like I said, there was no hemming and hawing. There was no attempting to justify it. It was it was just 
yep, you're right. We're undoing that right now. Yeah. So, and it was it was quick too. It was like in a day or two. So, um, definitely a fan of that. Uh, let's see here. Next item, uh, Nintendo has had a couple of uh, things going on. Uh, one of which was the um, there was this Nintendo Health Initiative that they had. That uh, I mean, it's not a big thing. They pretty much just completely shelved it scrapped it it was supposed to be not even a video game thing just a a quality of life thing monitors your sleep um but um i guess they never really got much traction with it or they couldn't find a distribution channel for it it's the kind of thing that you might see in i don't know you might you might get to hospitals or or other um maybe possibly nursing homes or you know everyday homes might be something you'd see sold in a Bed Bath and Beyond, but uh, you know, guess they didn't get much. Uh, either they didn't get good results or much marketing traction, and they just stopped. Yeah, I'm actually very surprised that they just stopped with something though. Even though uh, Nintendo might do some weird things, and there might be some uh, negative feelings about what they're doing from the public, uh, they've always kind of just done it anyway. You know, mm. um, they they've generally had that power where, you know, they're so well-known and they're such a big company and everybody knows them that they can kind of just do what they want and uh, kind of get away with it a little bit. So um, I'm actually a little bit surprised that they did just shelve something like this, but, um, you know, who knows why. Yeah, I, um, they, they do, they, I, I respect that they can be a bit maverick. Mm-hmm. I mean, they're, they're the... They're very much in that, uh, I mean, you and I both are well aware of that whole blue water, red water business. They're very blue water. Mm-hmm. They very much want to be, uh, they want to drive on innovation. Yeah. Uh, especially in the, the days under Satoru Iwata. I mean, that was, uh, I'm going to miss that guy. But um, I I get the impression that because this was in development for a while, I remember hearing about this like a year and a half ago or more. Mm-hmm. So this has been getting worked on for a long time. And if it's been in the works for that long and we haven't really heard much about it, it was also always under this kind of hush-hush, yeah, there's this uh, quality of life initiative thing that we're working on. Because you, you might remember this was something that got mentioned when people were wondering if the Wii U was going to survive very long. Mm-hmm. And it's like, no, are they going to go to their next console now or something like that? Mm-hmm. And there, there was this quality of life initiative and people were saying, no, no, that's actually not the next console. I mean, that's how long ago this was being talked about. Mm-hmm. Um, so it really feels like they didn't get the results that they wanted to. Um, or just the maybe, maybe having the name Nintendo associated with it and it not being a video game thing really hurt their perception in the health sort of uh i don't want to say healthcare health support but you know health item market mm-hmm. and people just didn't take them seriously i, I guess sure. so i don't i'm not, I'm not sure I, I, I would think that it would still appeal to kids um well it's it's <laughs> the name will appeal to kids but this yeah. is about sleep and until you're maybe 12 sleep mm-hmm. is the enemy <laughs> yeah because uh, there's a certain point where your willpower isn't strong enough to stave it off. <laughs> and then you get old enough and you're like, oh no, I really need to sleep. <laughs> My God, there's too much to do. Help. And 
really, that's what the whole thing was for, was for people who didn't get enough sleep. Yeah. So, um, uh, but uh, Nintendo, in more productive news, announced some stuff about the uh, My Nintendo sort of membership club or, you know, consumer rewards plan. Not entirely sure what shape this will take, but I've always felt that this tied in a lot to their sort of multimedia plans where uh, before Satoru Iwata passed away, he was even talking about, you know, trying to leverage Nintendo's IP. And in that, he mentioned stuff like theme parks, which I'm sure there's other stuff, but that's the one that I always that always stuck in my mind because it made complete sense. You just go to, say, Six Flags and you got someone in a Mario suit running around doing stuff and going, woohoo! And uh, you'd have, it would be another way to, you know, expose people to Nintendo's characters. I mean, Nintendo's got great characters. They even have good lore with some of their stuff. Why should this all be limited to only being expressed in uh, the medium of video games? I don't see any reason why it should be. Yeah, uh, I agree. Um, I think they, you know, I think it was in the 80s or early 90s. Do you remember the Mario uh, Mario Brothers TV show? Oh, yeah. I remember there was the Super Mario Brothers Super Show with uh, yeah. Captain Lou Albano. I remember its successor, the Club Mario. Mm-hmm. I remember the uh, uh, Super Mario World cartoon show. I remember Captain N, the Game Master. Right. So, I mean, they made a big push back then, and I always thought of that. It was pretty successful, um, so I'm not really surprised they'd be trying to do something similar. And, and like you said, in theme parks, in the you know, in, in the real world, trying to do something, do something there now. Oh man, Metroid would make a pretty cool haunted house. <laughs> yeah. yeah, but uh, yeah, it's uh, the the whole my Nintendo thing. It would be neat if you could. I know the whole premise is to. Oh, actually, now that I'm thinking about it, it makes it makes good sense too because uh, Iwata's whole point was you can expose people to their to Nintendo's IP and draw them into the console game that's kind of your home base for that intellectual property, right? Mm-hmm. So you can say go somewhere uh, with your sort of Nintendo Club or earn Nintendo Club points. They might just like tell you about it as you're doing it. Mm-hmm. And you get this like redemption voucher. Or they'll hopefully they'll come up with something a little more elegant than that. But uh, you can get something for it, and you say you go to the theme park and you get you know fifty points, and uh, because they have you know the Mario ride or something like that, um, and you uh, you know you have a little kid who hasn't actually been exposed to the games on their own before, so they just see this you know, funny guy jumping around and they get, they get into it and they want to know what it's about. And then they, the, say the parents have these points that they can, you know, spend on the, the console game stuff to entertain the kids. Mm-hmm. I, I'm, I'm totally not sure the shape that this will take in the end, but I, I see it as another good tool for trying to tie everything together, mm-hmm. at least on a conceptual level. My problem with it is just, I've, if it winds up being like Nintendo's online experience, which is so clunky, mm, yeah, then uh, it, it it might not uh, might not go too well. But uh, they they want to get a hundred million people in there. Was it a hundred million? Yeah, I think so. Worldwide, I don't believe they gave a timeline anywhere. 
And uh, I believe there was another investors Q&A that, uh, unfortunately, I haven't read all of. Mm -hmm. uh, they might have gone into more detail about this. But well, uh, I don't know. It's I, I, for one, always am interested in what Nintendo is doing. Mm -hmm. And uh, I hope this will come out well. But uh, I have a, a feeling, a very strong feeling that it will. Um, I know like on 3DS games, when you go and register your games, you have this code and you get points towards their loyalty program and everything like that. And there are some people at my work that are like fiends for these codes. They'll, you know, run around asking <laughs> anybody if they have their codes or if they're going to use them and stuff like that. So um, just seeing that, I, I have a good feeling that this is actually going to do something pretty big for them. Yeah, well, at the moment, I think there's not much more to say until uh, until we see what the whole thing uh, winds up being. Um, another quick note, I can't believe swatting is still a thing. I can't believe that, uh, what was it, a congresswoman? <laughs> if you're going to swat someone that's stupid enough, but swatting a politician, I mean, Jesus Christ, people. That was already working on making this a federal offense? Yeah. You know, like, um, just not smart. Any anybody out there who is stupid and immature enough to think that this is uh, a a good fun use of your time, one, you're wrong. Two, you're a complete and utter jackass. And three, you do you do very much deserve to be prosecuted. Yeah, I strongly believe there should be a harsher punishment for this because it's it's absolutely ridiculous. Like there's you're putting people's lives in danger. Literally. Wow. Like, you yeah, know, some, someone doesn't react quite this, the right way. Mm -hmm. I mean, this is the you're you're manufacturing a very high pressure situation where people are just going to be on edge because right. they think they're not actually going into a dangerous situation. And, you know, people can talk about the militarization of the police or whatever. Um, th that's kind of a different argument, though. Mm -hmm. You're creating a high pressure situation where people think the police think they're going into a dangerous situation. And they're going to be on edge, and they're going to want to pacify the situation mm -hmm. as quickly and efficiently and effectively as possible. Right. And that can very easily result in people getting hurt. Yes, easily. So. And and if the person who's the victim is uh, happens to not react the correct way, I mean, mm -hmm. it is true that it is the responsibility of the police to de-escalate the situation if they can, mm -hmm. but... Because you're forcing people onto the edge, there are unpredictable elements, and this this is going to result in in significant tragedies. Yeah, and then once something like that does happen, it's gonna it's gonna look bad on the game industry again. Yeah, <laughs> well, to start talking about you know, uh, it, I don't even want to see it. I don't even want to think about what's gonna happen <laughs> once something yeah. bad happens. If you're thinking of swatting, don't do it. You're an idiot. Yes. Yeah. And we're sorry for calling you a rude name, but we're right. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it it, it would it look it if tragedies happen, it'll look bad on the entire gaming community and industry. Mm -hmm. On the flip side, to some extent, it came from the gaming community, and so to some extent, it is earned. Mm -hmm. Probably not earned to the extent that uh, people will want to attribute it to the gaming community, but. Because it did come from us, we do deserve that feedback. We yeah. do deserve that criticism. Yeah. We do need, as a community, to verbalize, vocalize, condemn the people who do it as loudly 
and as forcefully, and when I say forcefully, I mean with voice, not for, not actual like physicality, mm-hmm. as we can. And so, if if anyone's going to take anything from from this podcast, I maybe if anything anyone takes anything from any of my work, I think this this might be the actually one of the most significant things is it, when you see people doing stuff claiming or even adjacent to or in such a way that it will be associated with your community and i don't even mean the video gaming community any community any group if someone's doing something in such a way that it can be taken as representative of your group and it is wrong it is bad it is illegal it is immoral it is unethical speak out against it mm-hmm. you know and note i didn't say that if you think it is not representative of your group because you know groups will have disagreements and different people in it people don't have to be homogenous it's fine it's when they cross the line mm. that you have to speak out i'll get off my soapbox now <laughs> and instead let's make fun of somebody who also deserves it and it's uh it's uh much more much more an amusing and lighthearted story but uh yeah this is what the the uh, near the anniversary of the whole ocean marketing debacle. And um, I I think you said you weren't even familiar with this story before, but uh, I watched this kind of in real time. This was one of the early, like, Twitter feed stories that I followed where you could see what was going on. You could see people freaking out. Uh, I I actually remember because I I was reading up on it while it was happening, while Brock Lesnar and... Alistair Overeem were fighting. <laughs> so I have this uh, little landmark in my memory for it. But uh, for those who don't know, I shall set the stage. The Avenger controller is this little clip-on thing that would go onto an Xbox controller. It was made specifically to help disabled people play, but as a side effect, it could be marketed as it would help your reaction time, like you wouldn't have to reach quite as far to do certain things. So a lot of players had some interest in getting this. They had pre-orders, and due to some, I think there were some manufacturing snags that got some pre-orders delayed, Um, and the company behind it hired a group called Ocean Marketing, which apparently, we've learned, was synonymous with a single person, Paul Cristoforo, to help with some, you know, order management, community management, customer service kind of stuff. One customer wrote in, was upset about delays, wanted to know what was going on. And maybe he asked something in not necessarily the most polite way, but that doesn't really matter with re- with respect to the response he got, where this just turned into this huge, like, Paul Cristoforo just started chewing into him, um, just insulting him, saying he was going to sell his pre-order on eBay, said he was stupid calling him just a whiny complainer or something. It was just all of this terrible stuff. It's basically, uh, you know, a how-to-not guide for what to do in, in, in any sort of situation when you're facing the customer. The kid, on the other hand, took this and forwarded it to Penny Arcade. And Penny Arcade are very anti-bully. Like, almost to the point where you can call them bullies themselves. A little bit, maybe, yeah. Yeah, yeah, they... Uh, not necessarily, their hands aren't necessarily clean, but uh, definitely they weren't exactly in the wrong on this one. Um, at least, uh, uh, I don't know, maybe you could argue that they uh, c- 
could have eased up on the gas a bit, but uh, yeah, they they uh, this wound up uh, getting on Reddit. They Penny Arcade started turning the internet against Paul Cristoforo. I mean, this just blew up, and it was weird because Paul started saying like, you know, I'm I'm gonna go to PAX anyway, whether you uh, whether you ban me or not, and and it you know. You know, Paul's hands weren't uh, clear in this either because he kept it going. Mm-hmm. There was this weird stuff like Ocean Marketing changing their name to Ocean Strategy, or at least the Twitter account changed. All kinds of weird stuff. It was just bizarre, but funny. <laughs> Especially what he was writing. I mean, not I'm not saying that it was funny that he was insulting people or anything like that, but just how it was so poorly spelled and <laughs> that he was claiming to know all these people and everything is just like what is going on <laughs> you know? is it like i know the mayor of detroit or something yeah yeah like wh- why 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 is that relevant <laughs> you know i think he later claimed that uh like that's just what he does like he he supposedly if you take his word which i don't mm-hmm. but he says he does know a lot of people and likes to just drop names whether or not he knows them Mm-hmm. So kind of a double-edged sword there mm-hmm. with uh, with his approach. But uh, man, it's... Uh, that, I mean, you and I have both dealt with customers in some form yeah. or another. Yeah. And there are definitely customers who are just completely unreasonable. Mm-hmm. This kid was not being unreasonable. Right. He may have been slightly unpleasant. Yeah, but he he wasn't really even rude. He might have just been a little insistent. Right, and you know I've I've done support in the game industry before. I've helped thousands and thousands of customers, and sometimes you want to say stuff like this, <laughs> but you have to remember you are representing a company. You have to be professional. You have to do things by the book there, or else you're going to put yourself in this situation. <laughs> You know, yeah, you're going to be fired. There might be some lawsuits and things like that. Like just, you know, you have to remain professional. You're doing a job. It's your job. And it's, it's a thankless job a lot of times, you know? Oh yeah. To those people that do think support, you are angels. Thank you so much. (laughs) Um, (laughs) uh, It's always good to get, you know, somebody being appreciative of you trying to help them. Um, Mm -hmm. But you have to keep your cool and, you know, remain professional there. Even if somebody's insistent or they're they're upset, just try to understand their situation, put yourself in their shoes, and you know they're not really upset at you. And you know half the time they even don't... if they say they're upset at you, they're probably not actually upset at you, right? And you know half the time they just it's not uh, it's a matter of ignorance, like they don't know how things work in the industry, even or you know how certain things work through a marketplace or who's responsible for what and they they're just frustrated you know or don't realize the difference between the publisher and the developer yeah exactly you know. so you know it's uh it's something you have to deal with being in customer support and helping people and this is definitely not the way to handle it yeah i i i remember just speaking to the difference between the publisher and the developer i remember a bunch of people complaining something about dark souls and complaining about namco designing it a certain way or something like that and it yeah, was yeah no namco yeah. didn't make the game from software made the game yep um, and yeah i've dealt with a number of uh pretty irate people in the past too and uh in my it, i've actually i don't know about you but i know i've dealt with people who were upset and they were also correct they, yeah 
you know, they, they were complaining about, uh, say, in a game that had been updated and items had been taken away mm-hmm. that they may have paid for. Mm-hmm. <laughs> what are you... And I didn't make that choice. What do you want me to do about it? Right. I, 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 I really want to help, but I can't roll the game back to the previous version either. Mm-hmm. These decisions were made elsewhere. And that's that's one of the other really nasty points. Like you said, you represent a company. Mm-hmm. So you, as a customer service, someone talking to the customers, if you say something, you might accidentally say something that makes the company liable for something. Mm-hmm. Like if you admit certain things, you're in a position to, uh, I'm repeating myself, make the company liable. So you got to be very careful about stuff like that sometimes. And, you know, sometimes a customer will be in a position where they're actually correct. Yeah. And the customer support are completely hand-tied. They, they, they cannot actually address the direct issue for a number of reasons. So I I would I would ask for people to just have a little bit of patience when dealing with customer support and stuff like that. Uh, you know, it's a classic example of stuff like why do they keep asking me all these stupid ass questions when I call in for help with my computer? Well, you know why? Because that actually answers like 90% of the problems. Mm-hmm. You know, you know someone you know, uh, calls in. It's like uh, the the screen just won't turn on. Blah blah blah. What's going on? Blah 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 blah. There's all this stuff in the you know 15 minutes into the call, they realized the monitor was never turned on. It's like oh, jeez. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and that was a tech savvy person. Uh-huh. You know, the, the kind of stuff does happen. So you know, the uh, uh, sometimes I, I'd say the really good customer support reps on that when you call them in are the ones who can realize. Like, they don't have to walk you through every single step. Mm-hmm. But uh, when they're going over basic stuff, it's because they need to make sure that the basics have been gone over. You know, right. they're, they're not trying to insult your intelligence. But, uh, yeah, those those little scripts they run off of are, are actually there for a reason. It's right. unfortunate, but it's true. So And a lot of times they really do need that information that they're asking for. <laughs> yeah. And a lot of the people that are calling in, too not the most technically proficient or savvy people. Mm -hmm. So, you know, your grandma can't get the computer to turn on. Yeah, they might need to be reminded to plug it in Mm -hmm. or something like that. I don't know. It's uh, very much uh, the the best customer service representatives do have to have the patience of Job. Yeah. (laughs) Okay, that uh, that actually covers all the topics I went about in the article, but there was a bunch of... a few more interesting little stories that came out since then, so I figured we'd go over them here. You ready for that, Marco? Okay. One, uh, the Internet Archive apparently added about a thousand Windows 3.1 games, so you can just go on there and grab them. I think they fall under the the sort of gray area of abandonware. Like people probably still technically own the titles, but uh, and licenses, but no one actually exercises it, so people just kind of run with it until they get a cease and desist order. And hopefully no one cares because in my point of view, there's a lot of good, um, a lot of good work done trying to archive um, old games uh, to maintain the, the game's history. And I think this is a pretty good tool for stuff like that. I've, I, I actually went on there a while ago and uh, went to the very first, I think it was the very first version of SimCity, which actually had like um, an age progression system. 
Uh, it wasn't like uh, you just go in and, you know, if you had enough money, you could drop a nuclear power plant. It's like, no, I had to build roads, and but they were for, you know, stagecoaches and stuff, not cars. Hmm. And until I looked at that, I didn't even know old SimCity had something like that in there. Yeah, I'm a big fan of, you know, internet archiving. Uh, there used to be the Wayback Machine. I don't know if that's still around or if this is the same company. Uh, I, it's, I don't believe it's the same company, but the uh, uh, I don't know if it's even called the Wayback Machine, but I know what you're talking about where you can look up old versions of websites. That's still around. Right. I, I'm not sure if it's still around, but um, I used to love to look on there just to see, you know, how things have changed. Mm. Yeah, there was actually a, a website that I, I I had a whole lot of fun with uh, called, uh, what was it called? The Baptist Church of True Truth. It was a parody <laughs> oh, yeah, site yeah. for... Uh, did I show you that? I think so. Didn't they give you certificates through there too? No, no. That was the Universal Life Church, I think. Oh, okay. <laughs> I think that's still around. <laughs> we actually knew a guy who got ordained as a minister multiple times under different names. Mm-hmm through this group but um no the baptist church of truth true truth was uh, completely satirical and it had like all of this crazy stuff like uh we're gonna sell you this christian calculator where if you if you ask it to give you pi it will give you the number three and if you try to put in the decimal value of pi it will convert it to three and uh, it wouldn't let you type in 666 and, and all this other weird stuff. But uh, that was one of my favorite old sites. <laughs> but uh, I, I don't know. Any? Um, did you ever play any, any... I actually didn't play much in the way of old computer games. I was a Nintendo kid. Uh, Marco, did you ever, uh, like in the old Windows, Windows 3.1 days, uh, do any PC gaming? Not Windows. Actually, when I was in grade school, I had a Mac. Um played a few games on there i played mist um which was very difficult to play as a child <laughs> oh i believe that <laughs> um and you know a brick breaker game i had a jeopardy game but uh not many windows games uh mm. around then uh later on i played uh was it doom and uh starcraft but that was like 98 something like that <laughs> so that, that definitely bypassed uh this particular era yeah but yeah. uh in turn that's uh, I, I think this makes it an interesting uh, resource for people like you and me who who really weren't into that section of gaming at the time. Mm-hmm. Now you and I can easily go back and review how games developed on that platform at that time. Yeah, actually, you know, now that you brought it up, I'm actually going to go through and check and see what they have on there just to see if there's anything interesting. I, I'm sure there's there's more than a couple, mm-hmm. um, and if nothing else just jumping around and checking stuff it's worth seeing it just to you know spend a few minutes in a, in a handful of games and try to piece together how user interfaces changed over the years mm-hmm. stuff like um you know when did uh, certain tropes or standards in menus start to arrive or you know were were these common sense from the beginning has there been much in the way of innovation over the duration yeah i think you know it's it's always good, you know, to, I guess, you know, know, know your roots, as I say, mm. <laughs> kind of go back and see, you know, where, what you're, how, what you're playing has evolved into what it is now. You know? Yeah. And that's, that's why there's a lot of these, um, 
Uh, I've been at GDC where they actually had a uh, big corner devoted to, you know, uh, historical like maintenance and archiving and restoration of old hardware, old games, uh, and just trying to value this part of our history. Mm-hmm. And with video games, because it's technology stacked on technology, it's it's kind of tricky to to maintain it all as it was done originally. Because, you know, uh, in this Internet archive, you can probably make it pretty true to its original experience. Mm-hmm. But for stuff like the Nintendo, if you just try to load it up on Nesticle, well, first of all, it was made for a cathode ray tube television. So the art was intended to be blurry. Mm-hmm. And so it's going to look really weird. Uh, secondly, it was made for screens where you couldn't see the very edges. So programmers would use tricks to like use the, the, the extreme edges of the screen for like saving stuff in memory. So there'd be like enemies that spawn too soon or too late, Mm -hmm. uh, or pop up on the very edge of the screen because you couldn't see it when you were playing it on an actual television at the time. Right. Or, hell, just about any light gun anything. It doesn't work anymore, which (laughs) upsets me because actually one of my favorite games of all time was Battle Clash um, and uh, and Battle Clash 2, which were Super Nintendo uh, light gun games. Mm -hmm. They were awesome, but uh, can't play them anymore. Don't have any televisions that run them anymore. You'd have to go get an old uh, non-flat screen CRT, and I unfortunately don't love it enough to devote the space for another television, an old, heavy, huge television to play it some more. So <laughs> I got rid of my Super Scope. It's, I'd, I'd have to play it with a mouse or something, which I'm actually far better with the, with the old Super Scope bazooka thing than a mouse. Mm-hmm. But uh, that won't happen on the Internet Archive. It's, it's uh, much more true to life. It's much more true to its original everything, even if you're just playing it inside the browser. You know, it's it's on your progressive scan, pixelated screen, everything. You know, I do actually have a uh, an old 13 inch CRT that I keep in in case I ever. <laughs> now you tell me. In case I ever do want to go back and play those, but to be honest, I never have, so it kind of yeah, just sits yeah. there. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I was a, a. I say now you tell me, but I wasn't gonna, you know. Yeah. Same thing. I wasn't going to actually do it. Right. I mean, I got it. I got it for free. Um, company I was working for was cleaning out old stuff. And I was like, oh, you know, I'll take this in case I want to go back and play my old Nintendo or whatever. And uh, yeah, I, I never have. <laughs> yeah. Oh, well. It, you know, I actually kind of find it weird that the uh, the old NES Zapper doesn't work. Because its, its function was that it would basically take a screenshot... It, it had a little camera in it, I think, and it would take a shot of the screen, and when you fired, it would blacken the screen and just leave white where the targets were, mm-hmm. and I guess by the shape of things on the screen when it did that, it would determine where you were aimed and if you hit or miss, mm-hmm. but I guess on a progressive or flat screen, it still doesn't work. I guess the frame rate's off too far or something from what it's expecting. Or maybe it's the um, some lag on the refresh for your old CRTs. Because this is what people tune in for. Speculative <laughs> debates about 25-year-old hardware. <laughs> no, it's more than 25. Yeah. It's about it 30-year-old hardware now. <laughs> oh, well. 
any other thoughts about this before we move on to our next new topic? No. Nope. Go ahead. All right. Next topic. Kind of just a brief one. Uh, a few days ago, Supreme Court Justice Antonin Scalia was found dead. And I'm not going to get into real politics here. You might like him. You might dislike him. That's entirely your prerogative. You can do what you want to do. But it is worth noting and remembering that he was the one who wrote the majority decision when the Supreme Court ruled 7-2 to against California trying to regulate video games for children the same way that you would, say, tobacco or alcohol. And that's that's significant. That's worth remembering. Uh, if people weren't, uh, if anyone out there wasn't exactly tuned in to the game's journalism at the time, people were actually really scared about what that could have meant, what this kind of government-enforced mm, censorship might not exactly be the right word, but I'll use it here, this sort of government-enforced censorship of the game's industry, mm-hmm. what that could have meant. Because the industry had already embraced the concept of the ESRB mm-hmm. and sort of self-imposed rating systems. So what would, I mean, if nothing else, what would that mean for any sort of industry over, industry, in, uh, what's the way I'm trying to say this? sort of industry self-generated oversight board or committee. Does that mean that the government has to step in on all of this? I don't know. We wouldn't have... We. The good news is we don't have to know. Exactly. We don't have to figure I'm, I'm out what... I'm glad we didn't have to find out. Yes. It, uh, it uh, very well could have had some very chilling effects on the games industry. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. Did uh, Were you following that, uh, that particular story when it was happening, Marco? Yeah, very closely. Um, because... Uh... Well, I mean, living in California and working in the game industry it would have had a very significant impact on what we were doing, you know. So uh, I did follow it. Uh, I'm very glad that it didn't happen. And uh, definitely, you know, this person should be remembered for that. Yep. Certainly pretty much everybody in this in the industry. I mean, not, not even in the uh, it didn't even it was the United States Supreme Court. But, you know, because of the scope and scale of the United States and the world economy and the world market, this would have had global implications for the video games industry. So probably on some level, uh, most people in the games industry, when they heard about this, breathed a sigh of relief. Mm -hmm. So again, you don't have to like Antonin Scalia for for a lot of things, but uh, I appreciate that he threw his hat in the in uh, what I would consider to be the correct side yeah. of the ring. I, on this I, I one actually, topic at least. you know, side with this in general. I have a um, a very strong feeling against the government needing to step in in the place of personal responsibility. Um, and I think you know, regulating games uh, when you know parents should should be regulating this for their children would have been a huge mistake. Um, just in general. So uh, I'm very glad this didn't happen, not because, not only because I work in California and in the game industry, but just on a general level of just, you know, people need to be responsible, you know, and uh, teach, you know, their kids if it's, if it's a violence thing um, or anything else in the games that they don't want them to, you know, learn or act upon that, you know, that's, that's a responsibility of parents um, in my opinion. And, uh, I'm just very glad this didn't happen in general. Yep. Um, 
I got nothing really to add there. Um, so, yep. Anybody out there, like I say again, you, you don't have to like them on the most things. You don't have to dislike them on the most things. But uh, just give them, I, I would say just remember Antonin Scalia. If nothing else, I think he got that one right. Yeah. And uh, it certainly was good for the industry. And if you're listening to this, you probably want the industry to do well. So, mm-hmm. um, some people might think he's crazy, but uh, one other person that uh, made game, uh, some waves in games news over the past week, who is probably much more crazy, is Kanye West, <laughs> who apparently a couple days ago said he was $53 million in debt and was asking Mark Zuckerberg for a billion dollars and had this weird fashion show where models were put on buses without knowing where they were going or had some weird rules about what they needed to do and half the people at his fashion show were in his clothes and the other half were in clothes they got off a thrift shop rack or something i don't know kanye west is strange if nothing else but uh he released a uh, a teaser trailer for a video game that he wanted to make and I don't know. I wouldn't have reacted with apparently as much vigor as he wanted the crowd to. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know about you, Marco, but no, not at all. So, like, uh, just a little bit of background. This was um, a part fashion show, part concert for his new album, which he performed the album, and then he decided to show this teaser um, for a game that he's working on. And the game is, you know, supposed to be a tribute for his dead mother, and it's about her passing through the gates of heaven. But, you know, they're shown a CG video, no gameplay, anything like that. And, you know, this is a concert slash fashion show, so there there wasn't much of a reaction, you know. And it's kind of understandable um, because of the crowd, the event, and, you know, there wasn't much shown. Uh, but what didn't make sense was Kanye's reaction where he was disappointed by the fact that everyone wasn't going nuts for it and decided to play it again (laughs) to try to get a better reaction. (laughs) Uh, It it was very strange. (laughs) Yeah. I, uh, the one thing that struck me about it was, was when, uh, the, the, the crowd who, yeah, this, this particular revealed to them was probably not exactly in their wheelhouse. So, so it's not what they were there to see. And they, Mm -hmm. they were, probably just a little confused if nothing else right and it's not like the reaction was bad it didn't get yeah it was, or it anything. was people were cheering it's just not as much as he wanted i guess yeah it, it was it wasn't a, a huge reaction it was a mild reaction but it was positive i mean yeah. he got he got scattered cheers it, it, it you know what now that i think about it it actually sounded a lot like a standard e3 gameplay demo reveal mm-hmm. you know just kind of like your general yeah okay <laughs> yeah right that's what it sounded like is you know there wasn't any huge ovation or anything but mm-hmm. you know it, it was a, a like a pre-rendered uh cinematic kind of thing right it was and, you know and in fact in part of it was was i guess his mother riding a winged horse and i i i've watched it a couple times trying to figure out what was going on and to see if i can make out anything about what the game was supposed to be which by the way you can't no no, which not at all. certainly didn't help with the reaction. Mm-hmm. But uh, every time I see the winged horse, I start thinking of uh, Robot Unicorn Attack. <laughs> yeah. Which is, 
I'm, I'm actually going to guess Robot Unicorn Attack is going to be better than whatever this winds up being, if it winds up being anything. But uh, uh, actually, the part of this whole sequence that uh, got my attention the most was when he was saying that he was going to San Francisco and everyone was like, fuck you, man. Uh, you know, first of all, who was he talking to? Was he talking to a publisher who didn't want to invest in his idea? In which case... What was his idea? I still don't know. So I'm not going to fault publishers for that. Mm -hmm. You're not going to just front Kanye West money because he's Kanye West. Right. Um, which is exactly how him asking Mark Zuckerberg for money is going to go. <laughs> but uh, also, was he talking to developers? And if he was offering to give developers money to make the game, if he was going to basically fund it himself, publish it himself, mm -hmm. and they were rebuffing him... How insane were his requests? Yeah. Uh, did Because I still don't know what kind of game it is. I don't know what any mechanics are supposed to be. Mm -hmm. I don't know what any... You know, if, if you're going to get artistic with it, uh, what mechanic is metaphor is supposed to be in this game, what emotion it's supposed to give me as a user, what gameplay decisions I'm going to have to make. You know nothing about this game. <laughs> Other than that, everything that you've just said, pretty much, it's about Kanye's Kanye West's mom going to heaven. Yeah. And you know what? There's probably room there for a good, you know, emotional user experience. I'm not going to say that it can't be, mm -hmm. but without anything to go on, yeah, you're like, hey, you're making a game. Good for you. Right. Okay. What, you expected more from me? You've shown me nothing. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I mean... I'm really curious about what what it is and what he was trying to do because I mean if you if he just went to a publisher or a developer and said hey I want to make a game I'm Kanye West I'm really famous I have a big name I'm gonna front the money for it most developers or publishers would say yes just off that but mm -hmm. he must have wanted something crazy <laughs> for it not to have happened you know or something very vague right or he had no idea what he wanted. Yeah, uh, yeah. So it's you know, I, I'm I'm curious as to what happened, but not really anymore because of how he handled it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I I don't remember. I don't know where this came from, but something like that always reminds me of uh, the beginning to a Rob Zombie song. He I I can't even remember which song it is off the top of my head. It might be Sick Bubblegum, but uh, there's there's an audio clip there where he says, "We all know how we're gonna die." We're going to crash and burn. <laughs> mm -hmm. So I, I don't... Mm, if he's running out of money... I mean, I you know, the $53 million in debt, I don't know if that's debt on top of his assets. Like, he's actually in the hole and has negative value at the moment. Mm -hmm. Or if uh, he's just... he. Ha I mean, if he's releasing an album, you'd expect he'd have a new revenue stream coming in that would pay for his personal debts. Or maybe he just was making some overambitious purchases. Mm -hmm. I, don't, I don't know. His Whatever his financials are, if, uh, if it, that does not get in the way of uh, developing this game, he'll probably force it into release. Probably. But, uh, man, it was... <laughs> Here's the other thing about, about what he was saying at that event, was he was saying, man, you're all acting like this is regular. It's like, well, first of all, yes, it is. Yeah. It's very regular. Sorry. And he's saying, 
this this is so hard. And I'm thinking, okay, I've worked in this industry for over a decade. Mm -hmm. I've worked in QA for over a decade, which is probably one of the, you know, highest churn, kind of roughest sections of it. Mm -hmm. And uh, I've made this my home. Okay. And not only that, this is the part of the industry where we're the ones expected to turn around and say, yeah, this is good. No, this isn't good. We have to put our foot down and fight. And we have no authority to do so. (laughs) (laughs) Like we can't actually put a stop to anything. All we can do is convince people. Mm -hmm. That's really hard. Okay. You want to talk about hard in the games industry? (laughs) Yeah. That's hard. Yep. QA is definitely don't. Uh, what is it to quote Terry Tate? Don't come at me with that weak ass humpty bumpty. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. That was yeah. I, I that, that was that's so the kind of thing. Yeah, it, it it struck me as so actually insulting that I I do not blame people for turning around to him and saying fuck you. Yeah. <laughs> if if that's the kind of attitude that he had, because he does does not come across as someone who. At least with respect to the games industry, kind of appreciates the nature of the beast that he's dealing with. Because mm. you know, video games. I'm firmly on video games being art, and if he's one tenth of the artist that he presents himself as, I'm curious to see what he can come up with. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, no problems with me there. But at the same time, I mean, video games are like. There's so much tech going on. I mean, has Kanye West ever had to scrap an album and start over because his sound mixing board updated and was now not compatible with his voice? <laughs> yeah, right. That kind of stuff can happen in video games. Mm-hmm. You know, this is oh, uh, Unreal Engine updated and uh, all of our skins have broken. Yep. Oh, all of our art now needs to be replaced. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Or. Hell, same sort of thing happened with, uh, I mean, that's part of why, um, this is certainly not the only reason, but it was one of the many reasons why Dai Katana was such a cluster, because they changed their engine partway through development, right. and they had to scrap everything and start over. I mean, Duke Nukem Forever did that like three or four times. I mean, this is something that happens in the mobile industry. Just take uh, iOS, for example. Oh, yeah. iOS updates, you know, every so often, and breaks stuff yeah, all and the time all your stuff and breaks. yeah care, in mobile so. there's so many layers of technology stacked on top of each other that any one of them updates mm-hmm. your 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 platform os updates your middleware updates yep. your uh you you've got some external plugin uh for analytics or billing that updates and it just break it could break everything mm-hmm. i've seen a game where they they were hitting some external server and the external server went down and uh, something in the calls for the game were dependent on a return from that external service and it broke the game globally for everyone. No players could get online. <laughs> yep. And and it didn't, ha- it, it wasn't exactly a problem with the game. It wasn't a problem with the developer. It wasn't a, pro- a problem with the game server. It's just the game expected this external service to return something. And when it failed, the game said, it just sat there waiting. Mm-hmm. Fortunately, that particular developer was awesome, and they were able to turn that dependency off remotely. Didn't have to update the client or anything, which was really awesome, and I wish uh, I could work with more people who could do stuff like that with. But uh, anyhow. Um, Yeah, that's all the stuff I wanted to hit. Any other topics you wanted to touch on, Marco? No, no, I'm good. All right. Then this is the point in the show where we are to exchange or uh, get some... 
Behind the Line Industry Stories. Mm-hmm. And uh, Marco, you bowed out on our first show, so now it's definitely your time to share something. I did, and I will right now. Uh, <laughs> I'm going to just tell a little story about a um, little office prank that we pulled uh, at one of our one of my former companies. Um, we're a small group, and uh, small pranks were you know going on here and there uh, somewhat frequently. But this one, uh, this one in particular, it, it wasn't you know the best prank but it just works so well <laughs> that it was my favorite um so you know you know normal office chairs you have the back of the chair the seat of the chair they're normally connected by some kind of arm that goes in between them and on this one person's chair that arm had a, a little sleeve that was wrapped around it so we took uh, a mobile phone because we were working on mobile games and uh, we put it inside the sleeve in between the arm and the back of the chair so you, you couldn't see it at all and so when this person came in, you know, every once in a while, like one of us, uh, a few of us were in on it. Everybody that was sitting in this large bay, we, we all kind of knew about it. We would call and let it ring once or twice and then stop it. And, you know, this person didn't really think anything of it. They were just heard a phone ringing in the background, um, which was normal because we were all working on mobile phones and we'd have to call them and whatnot. But um, eventually they started noticing it and... Uh, it was, it was just really funny. Like normally, you know, it, if, if he had gotten out of his seat and looked around, he might've been able to find it. But the, the funny part about this was the guy never got out of his seat. He would roll around in the seat and look around or spin around in the seat and look around. But the sound was always coming from behind him. And <laughs> so, so he was spinning around and looking for it while it was still going. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, he, he just kept doing the same thing. So we just kept it going. And we we kept that one going for hours um, just because he never got out of the chair. <laughs> he would spin around and roll the chair around. And the sound would always be coming from behind him. <laughs> there was no way um, for him to see if one of us was doing it because we'd all, you know, we were working on mobile games and we'd all have at least two to, you know, 20 mobile phones on our desk at a time. So um it just kept going it kept going and he was never able to figure it out and it, it was just uh it was probably the best prank that we we pulled in that office and uh yeah just wanted to share that <laughs> it's uh yeah it's like spinning around trying to look for it it's kind of like when um when bart wrote insert brain here on the back of homer's head and he kept spinning around trying to look at the back of his own head <laughs> right yeah it was just great because you know he, he just kept spinning around and <laughs> it was always behind him he just could not figure it out he was so confused but he didn't actually ask anybody <laughs> i think he was just like uh, maybe too embarrassed or something but oh it just it works so great I mean, there's... Did did anyone ever explain it to him, or does he still not know to this day? No, eventually, eventually we pulled it out and showed him <laughs> because we felt bad, but yeah. it did go on for hours. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, we, we there was a lot of other small stuff we did in the office, but that one just worked out so well. Like he he just couldn't figure it out on his own, and the way he was going about trying to figure it out, it just made it even worse. <laughs> so. Yeah, we've seen a bunch of I've seen a bunch of uh, little uh, office pranks, stuff like um, putting scotch tape over the optical sensor on a mouse, or taking a screen cap of the desktop and hiding all the icons, so you got the icons there, but they're actually just part of the desktop image. Uh, or doing stuff like uh, uh, on Windows 
I don't even know if this command still exists, but uh, you could hit like, uh, what was it, like Control-Alt-Left, and it changes the left side of the screen to down, so you'd have to tilt your head 90 degrees to the right or your screen 90 degrees. It's it's for when you have those uh, uh, monitors that can switch to portrait or landscape. Mm -hmm. So you can change what direction the screen is. We'd swap things like that around. And another good one uh, that we had, and, and a lot of these were also for if people left their stations unlocked, and just left it open for people to mess with. We, we generally didn't do anything destructive because you didn't want to mess with people's work. It was just, you know, pranking. Mm -hmm. But a, uh, another good one that we've I've seen recently was swapping the QWERTY keyboard configuration for the Dvorak keyboard configuration. <laughs> yeah. It took the guy a few minutes to figure out that one. Yeah. We did have one that, um, one of the engineers that worked there actually, like, somehow change like the drivers on the mouse to do something weird um that one was really good but uh a little too far that took a long time to actually fix that <laughs> yeah so, yeah it's we never really wanted to go that far just you know mess with people a little bit here and there um, you want it to take no more than 15 minutes to figure out right <laughs> and you you want it to take no more than a minute to put back right right um you don't want IT to have to come over <laughs> to fix things for you. Uh, that's all bad. Yeah. Nor nor do you want to do something like have office chairs where the springs are a bit too strong and they have that release trigger that would just spring <laughs> them way forward and hit someone when they're off balance and almost drive them teeth first into their own desk. Yeah. yeah. No, we don't play that game anymore, Mark. Exactly. <laughs> Yes, this was another little prank that we had when we were working together. The, the chairs were as I described, and, and so uh, people would kind of uh, stick their foot over and hit the latch under the next person's chair and kind of knock them over. And uh, one guy did this when they were a little bit too... The, the victim was in a bit of a precarious balancing position, and it almost launched them face first into the desk. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, after that, the running gag was uh, we don't we don't play that game anymore, <laughs> or we don't do that anymore. And most of the time, that wound up coming up because people would kind of have their foot under their own chair and accidentally hit the trigger. I was guilty of doing that once, yeah, and uh, that was not fun. <laughs> <laughs> but I don't know why they made them that way. I mean, that spring was a little overboard. Like it, yeah, could, it like, was because because it was, um, <laughs> yeah, because it was uh, the the. You hit the release and the chair would lurch forward mm -hmm. like, I don't know, a good maybe 15, 20 degrees past vertical. Yeah. So like the chair would actually be leaning forward into the user and the, the seat would lean forward. So it would just like launch you up. <laughs> I mean, it, I mean, it wouldn't launch you if you're sitting and you had your weight in it, of course. But if you if you weren't expecting it, it would, it would definitely knock you off balance. Yeah. <sighs> good memories. So uh, I think that's everything we got. Uh, unless uh, there's any other parting words you'd like to give, Marco? Nope, that's it for me. All right, then. Well, thanks a lot for joining me today. All right, thanks for having me again. Yep. And, uh, yep, as always, uh, if anyone out there has any topics you'd like me to cover, anything like that, you can always hit me up at uh, my email address. That's kinetic at enthusiacs.com. K-Y-N-E-T-Y-K at Enthusiacs.com. Join me again next week for the next Behind the Line article and in two weeks for the next Behind the Line radio. See you next time.
Behind the Line Radio is presented by Enthusiacs.com. For more podcasts, let's plays, articles, videos, reviews, and more, visit us at Enthusiacs.com. Also, send us a comment on Twitter at Enthusiacs. View us on YouTube, channel Enthusiacs, and like us on Facebook, Enthusiacs. Thank you.